CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, Options Action fans. I'm Melissa Lee. We've got a jam-packed show coming your way, so let's get straight to it. Airline stocks hitting some turbulence this week. The Jets ETF that tracks the space falling 8%. But the chartmaster says buckle up. This ETF is ready for takeoff. He's got the charts to prove it. Carter, take it away. Sure, you bet. So before we get to it, I mean, there is an important thing to say. There's a difference between investing and trading, right? Uh, It's not about how much debt they have. It's not about whether they make it or go bankrupt. If you want to invest in airlines, I'm not with you. But there is a trade prospect. As it gets darker and darker and people doubt them more and more, uh, there is every possibility that this is a time to take the road less traveled, and that's the point of this particular segment right now. Let's look at a few tables and charts. So what do we know? We know this was the hardest hit area of the market. You can see here in the table the peak to trough decline in the S&P, of course, 35%. We know restaurants down 45%. Airlines down 70, and then hotels, which also includes cruise uh, ships, down 73, 74. So it's the epicenter of the pandemic. And the issue is that yet, despite all that, we really haven't gotten worse since March. And, And that's an important circumstance. Look at slide two. Here is the ETF in question. Rather than taking the idiosyncratic risk to pick American Airlines or Delta or Alaska or JetBlue or Southwest, there's a great ETF, cute symbol, JETS, J-E-T-S, and it's the global airline industry. It's, in fact, it's 39 stocks, so it's not just U.S. carriers, a total of $1.5 trillion in market cap. Now, take a look at the first of two charts. Here is the plunge we see, of course, and then after bottoming in March with all equities, you get a nice ricochet, and yet unlike the market, the airline group went back in May and tested that March low a fairly well-documented formation known as a double bottom. And now the fourth uh, slide, second chart, final uh, picture here. Ever since that double bottom, we have been basically holding, not getting worse, despite the news getting worse. Even the travel figures out from the TSA, the pass-through numbers are not improving. And people uh, are doubting if there ever is a future. It's time to make a trade. We like jets on the long side. All right. So, uh, Mike, what is the trade? And if you can speak to the news that we just got from American Airlines in the past half hour, that they will, in fact, uh, tap the Treasury loan program for about five and a half billion dollars, which is more than what many had expected. Yeah, I mean, well, we really have two very recent bits of news in the airline sector. The biggest constituents of the Jets ETF are the U.S. carriers, the largest of which is Southwest. But then, of course, our other big carriers, including American, United, JetBlue and so on, are also important constituents. Probably collectively all of those stocks represent 40%. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, typically, if a good manager is going to go out and try to access as much liquidity in times of trouble as they can. So I'm, I'm surprised that people are surprised by that. But, you know, there is some other underpinning fundamental management activity that could happen at the airlines that could, of course, sort of take advantage, of you, if you will, of this current situation. One of the things that you obviously have to deal with if you're an airline is the age of your fleet. Older airplanes tend to be less efficient to operate, but when you're operating at full capacity, you sort of have to basically wait in line for new deliveries. Delta just announcing today, among other things, that they intend to retire some aircraft early. So that means that the less efficient aircraft 
in their fleet are going to be retired and they're obviously going to end up with more efficient aircraft going forward. You know, one of the other points I think that Carter was making about their weakness that we have there, we're seeing that in the options market too. There's a great deal of uncertainty priced in, despite the fact that there are also companies in here that might not have the same degree of uncertainty. I'm speaking now of General Dynamics and Textron, which are also constituents of the ETF. Right now, the implied volatility in jets is about 60%. That's four times greater than it was before all of this. The average implied volatility going out three months was maybe 15% before. This is a very stable index before now. I also am taking a look at the low that we saw in jets, which was about $12. So the idea here is, how do we get exposure to the near upside without getting exposure to the near downside? With the ETF trading around 1670, when I was looking at this earlier today, I could trade the 151720 call spread risk reversal. What am I talking about? Selling the 15 puts, buying the 17 calls, selling the 20 strike calls in November against it. Net, net, I'm not laying out or collecting any premium. And the idea here is that you get very near-term exposure to the upside. As soon as the, as the ETF is above that 17-strike call that you own, you're getting that participation to the upside. On the downside, you could have the ETF put to you at that $15 strike price. That would be a decline of about 10% from where we closed today. So you're not getting exposure to that near downside, but you are getting exposure in the near upside. And of course, if it continues to track sideways, kind of the way it has been lately, what's gonna happen is those wing options are gonna decay a little bit more. So you might actually even make a standstill rate of return if we don't get the kind of momentum or it doesn't take off the way that Carter suggested that it might. Tony, what do you think of this trade? So I think this trade is a fairly opportunistic trade. Uh, as Carter said, the TSA numbers haven't been particularly strong. They've been pretty much flat for the last three months. But if you look at the JETS ETF and you look at the four major constituents, which make up, as, as Mike said, 40% of the index, I think the chart is actually fairly constructive. JET just broke, uh, bounced off the $16 support level. You have Southwest bouncing off 36, Delta bouncing off uh, the 30s, American Airlines, same, very similar picture. So with you when you have this type of setup, what I like about this is just the attractive risk to reward ratio that you have because you have fair amount of upside here. While if the stock declines even a little bit, I would consider this thesis incorrect and get out of the trade. The only thing I want to point out about Mike's trade, which I think is a very creative way to play for upside while, main, while limiting your downside, is the fact that with the call spread risk reversal like this, even though you have downside protection down to the $15 level at expiration, if the ETF declines to that 15 level before expiration, you will have a paper loss and you would have to hold it to expiration in order for the wing options to decay and for you to have a flat position. So that is one thing for investors who are trading the strategy to be considerative when you're, when you're executing this trade. Carter, you made clear, and so did Tony, in fact, um, that there's a distinction between trading and investing. So longer term beyond, say, November, the end of November, what does this chart look like? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Now you're getting into what does matter. I mean, if you, if you what, what do we hear? Numbers, 40 billion debt, 50 billion. I mean, that's not investing, right? Value investing is actually not investing. It's speculating. And that's someone saying, I can find something that's distressed that I think won't go out of business, decide the day that it's cheap enough, but also decide when to get out. Investing is long-term in nature. It's finding something that's it's a disruptor and it's going to win over time. Airlines are not that. They're a commodity, they're a bad business, and investing in them, no thanks. Right. Speculating on them, let's do it. <laughs> let's stick with the skies. Talk about the cloud now. Salesforce is down more than 14% after hitting a record high earlier this month. 
Tony thinks there are more gray skies ahead for this stock. So Tony, what's the trade? Yeah, so Salesforce, this stock is favored by almost every analyst on the street. It's really hard to bet against, but I really think that it's getting a little bit ahead of, ahead of itself, especially after this last earnings report. It's losing some relative strength, and I think there's a risk of this filling this gap down into that 218 level. So if we first take a look at the weekly chart, if you look at the stock itself, it's currently trading at 17% above the 20-week moving average. If you go back over the past five years, the peak that it's ever been highest is about 16% above that 20-week moving average. The average price of this stock is usually only trading about 4% above that 20-week moving average. So I think that we're looking for a potential mean reversion here back into that 218 gap level. Now, if we look at the daily chart, we've had this recent gap higher above into that 250 level on that earnings report. The stock quickly reversed below that 250 level. It has really started to start to um, come back below that. It came to retest that 250 level this week as resistance and got rejected. It's trading below its 20-day moving average. And more importantly, if you look at the relative strength of this stock, Salesforce has actually been underperforming the technology sector since the beginning of 2019. This earnings report certainly reversed that, but ever since that earnings report came out, the relative strength has continued to decline. So I'm looking for, uh, as we see a bit of rotation out of technology, for Salesforce to potentially weaken below that 250 level and continue moving lower. Now, the interesting here thing about, uh, about Salesforce is the fact that the implied volatilities right now in this stock is still extremely elevated, currently trading at about 44% versus the implied volatility is 40% before earnings. So the trade structure that I'm looking to use here is selling a call spread. I'm going out to the November 6th weekly expiration. I'm selling the 245, 260 call spread, collecting about $13.35 on that four, 245, paying about 780 for the 260s, collecting total of 555, which is about 37% of the width here, and my break-even price here is at 250, which is that gap price that I'm looking for Salesforce to stay below before expiration. Before we get Mike's uh, take on the trade, Carter, I wanted to get your thoughts on the chart here. Right, so just as described, right, you have a stock that gaps up on its earnings. Uh, Tony discussed that then ever since has been not necessarily faltering, but it's been slipping to the point where it calls into question whether that gap up wasn't just sort of the high for quite some time, that they did everything they could do, put up a great number, and yet it was all priced in on that day. So gap fills are in a very important part of technical analysis, and the gap below looms. If you do draw a trend line from the March low, and it's a very precise one, it comes into play exactly where a gap fill would come into play, the level tiny Tony cited at 118. Wow. Mike, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, very quickly, the, the deal here is essentially that what we're seeing is a good performing company, but the stock price is largely a function of expanding multiples. And we've seen that that obviously can be a weak place to be. A lot of very good performing names are starting to run into resistance when the valuations are reaching the, basically the peak levels that we've seen over the last decade. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, a double-down, double-header. Coe and Carter are tag-teaming a new Nike trade following this week's blowout quarter. How they're using options to score big. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air. 
when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Nike shares sprinting higher this week on the back of a blowout earnings report, the company crushing online sales estimates. And if you caught the show last week, you'll remember Myco laying out a trade capturing this exact scenario. And as we go into earnings, this is a stock that has typically moved about 4.7% over the last eight quarters or so. Right now, the options market is implying significantly bigger moves, 7.3% or so. So how, if you own the stock, are you going to take advantage of the fact that the options premiums are high and the valuation and the stock price are also high? And it's really one of the most basic strategies that we encourage for people who are just starting out with options, and that is to sell covered calls. If you own Nike stock, Right now, you could take a look at selling some calls in October. I was specifically looking, and you could sell some calls for about $3.60, the 120 strike calls in October. And when you do that, you're basically taking advantage of the fact that the options premiums are elevated, and you're going to collect that premium, and you still have a little bit of upside. So Nike traded as high as $128 a share this week. So, Mike, walk us through this one. Yeah, so this is an interesting situation. Obviously, if you're selling calls uh, against stock that you own, you do want the stock to go up, of course, because you own it. But you're not making the bet that it's going to blow right through the strike of the call you sold. And that is exactly what happened here. Uh, This is one of the larger upside moves that we've seen in basically the last decade plus in Nike. I think there may have been four or five quarters where we saw moves of this magnitude or slightly higher. So this was a pretty extraordinary upside a blowout result. The one thing I would point out for people who are holding the stock here, the valuations are essentially at the highest levels that we have seen in Nike since since basically 1990. So if we're going back decades now, even in the 1999 stock bubble, didn't see valuations as high as the ones that we have right now. And these earnings, good as they were, it was really basically the digital sales that were doing it because you know the bricks and mortar sales had declined by enough that year on year we actually saw a marginal revenue decline. I think, obviously, the, continue, the company continues to operate spectacularly. But with valuations here and seeing how the stock traded afterwards, notice that after it basically gapped up, we didn't see continued strength. Even as the market did relatively well, the stock did not. And so to me, it feels like we're running into a little bit of resistance, running into a little bit of trouble. And in fact, those 120 calls that we sold are only worth a couple of bucks more than they were when we did so originally. So if you're in that position, I think you're fine with it. Bearing in one mind one thing, you should cover those calls before expiration if they're still in the money. But I have a feeling that it's still a good place to be because you're going to collect another 2% in premium or thereabouts. If you don't have a position, how do you take advantage of a more moribund situation potentially for the stock, given the things that I was just talking about? I was looking at a diagonal, a calendar diagonal. Specifically, I was looking at buying the November uh, 115 puts Uh, excuse me, selling the November 115 puts and then buying the January 120 puts. In that trade, you're going to lay out about $4.75. The idea here is that the stock is probably going to trade a little bit sideways as it tries to figure out maybe it even fills that gap that we had on earnings. And we'll obviously have to get Carter's point of view on that. Same thing true, basically, if you're short the call spread that we talked about last week as well. What we're looking for here is the stock to basically move a little bit sideways because it didn't really have continued strength 
after we saw that big gap on earnings. Moribund is a very Carter Braxtonworth word, Carter. So would you agree with that scenario? I, I like that one. I, yes, indeed. It's exactly what I think is coming. So uh, I think, uh, let's, let's say it this way. The sequencing is important. You have a stock that's very strong, up 20% before its earnings, meaning a lot of uh, good news baked in. And it turns out that that uh, bullishness uh, was quite right. The stock puts up good numbers. The stock, the company, of course. And it surges yet even further. And yet... It's almost like it, what is called an exhaustive gap. It, 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 it can't stick its landing. After hitting a high intraday of 130, spot 38, it falters. It, and, and it's been drifting down uh, since, right, the past two, three sessions. And we just looked at the prospect of a gap fill in um, uh, Salesforce.com. Tony uh, very clearly outlined that. And that's what you have here. So in a way, we know that what is the news that would make it make a new high now? That's out of the way. And we also know that our low, the point from which we gapped up, is another reference point. And so moribund is exactly what's likely, uh, basically a stock that trades between 125 and 115 for weeks and weeks and weeks. Wow. Tony, what do you think of, uh, of this assessment of Nike's future? And what do you think of Mike's trade specifically? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the important thing about this news announcement is the fact that sales were flat. They just simply didn't decline as much as the market was expecting. So, and you had several one-time items that boosted the bottom line here. So overall, I agree. I think you have a very similar setup to, to Salesforce. You have an exhaustion gap, as, as Carter stated, and I think it's likely to fill that gap. Now, I like Mike's trade here because you're only risking about 3.8%. It's being a little tactical here, trying to... Uh, uh, trying to get Nike to fill that gap when you're only risking 3.8% of the underlying stock price. I think that's a, an inexpensive way to play that. I specifically like Mike's November 115 strike. He's using technical analysis to choose that strike price, which is roughly about a 30 delta, the same type of strike price that we would normally sell, but it's being very tactical for November so that if it does fill that gap, you're likely to have that November option expire worthless and potentially you have the opportunity to sell more uh, puts against it to lower the cost of that long put. Last word to you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing to, to contemplate here is that, of course, when we are, are thinking about what the next potential catalyst would be, you know, obviously we have the year-end uh, shopping season would partially be part of that. We're going to have another earnings season. When the next quarter rolls off, November isn't going to capture those things. And, you know, we have seen a little bit of strength, a lot of strength actually in some of these higher flying names that are trading at high multiples. I think it's a very risky thing to try to go out and chase those types of names here, even if they are companies that are being operated as well as Nike is. All right. Up next, we are taking your tweets. So send us your questions at Options Action. We'll answer some of them on air. We'll be back right after this. Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks if it is worth buying Walmart. October 16, 145 calls. Will the stock bounce back to the mid-140 range in the next few weeks? Mike, what do you say? So I like Walmart a lot, and I actually think that uh, kind of like Nike, the company is finally making some traction on the digital side, on the grocery side. 
the valuation isn't extraordinarily high where a lot of other companies are. And those options are exceptionally cheap right now. They're about 90 cents, but they're also cheap for a reason. You're only giving yourself about three weeks to expiration. And right now the options market is implying that there's probably a 20% chance or less that that trade is actually going to be profitable in the money. So you might, if you're thinking about being in a bullish position in Walmart, choose a strike that's a little closer to at the money and a little bit further out in time. How does this chart look, Carter? Oh, I, I mean, I, I just don't, I think the high is in for Walmart. Let me just say it that way. I think it got bit up too much on the TikTok news, and I think the upside is very muted. All right. Our next viewer writes, Boeing closed near the highs of the day on strong volume. It's been a tough stock for months. It's still well below its downward sloping 200-day moving average. Does Carter have any opinions on the technicals of Boeing? What do you say, Carter? Well, you know, the answer lies in the segment we just did on jets. Um, it's the same circumstance, really. In fact, uh, Boeing, uh, while not an airline operator, of course, is an airline manufacturer, and it, it's correlated with airlines that are around a 78% uh, basis over the last 12 months. So bombed out, 75% uh, decline from a 450 peak. Here it sits at 156. But it also has no love. It's very rare for the sell side community to have more sells and holds than buys. Only 5% of ratings are sells in the history of Wall Street. And this is a company that has the circumstance more holds and sells than buys. No one likes it. I think you should speculate on the long side. So bad it's good, as Carter is known to say. I think so. <laughs> yep. Our next viewer has an idea for an Apple trade that expires ahead of earnings. He says he's happy to be long under $100 a share. Here's a trade he's laid out for us. 35 days till expiration, a $98 put sold to open, a 128 call sold to open, and a 130 call bought to open. Tony, what are your thoughts here? I think this is an interesting strategy where you've shorted a, str a strangle and then you're long a call option hoping that if Apple does uh, take off that you're able to participate in that. But on the short straddle, I think I would tighten up the, sp the strikes a little. I'd sell about a 35 delta on both sides and I would look at buying a call option just outside of that 35 delta to the upside. Okay, up next, the final call. for the final call, the last word from the options pits. Carter Braxtonworth, what do you say? Well, the center of the storm for the pandemic, of course, was travel, hospitality. We think you can speculate on airlines here via a good ETF, Jets, J-E-T-S. And if one wants to pick a stock that's very similar, Boeing, also on the long side. Tony Zhang. Salesforce gapped up to that 250 level here on earnings. It's now trading below that, both on an absolute and relative basis. I'm looking for this Salesforce to fill this gap down to the 218 level, and I'm looking to sell a call credit spread to take advantage of that downside move. Mike Coe. Yeah, I think that the near-term highs are in in Nike post-earnings, and so I like calendar spreads there. And to follow up on the Jets trade that Carter outlined, use call spread risk reversals to take advantage of the high implied volatility we're seeing. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Mad Money starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.